Hello, welcome to another MLEX podcast. My name's James Paniki, MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Laurel Henning, Senior Correspondent at MLEX, covering shareholder activism from Brussels and very soon from Sydney. So today we've got a particularly Australian edition of the podcast. I'll be talking about activist shareholder Sandon Capital's interest in retailer specialty fashion and the frustrations it's facing there, while James will be walking us through the hot regulatory topic of the moment, the controversy over why the penalties imposed in Australia for competition law violations are so light. Yes, that's right, Laurel. The last few weeks uh, have seen an OECD report which has suggested that Australian penalties are so light that they may in fact be affecting the law's ability to deter anti-competitive behaviour, that the fines may be seen simply as the price of doing business in Australia. And if that's the case, that's clearly highly problematic. But before we get started on that, a quick update on a big deal we were talking about the last time uh, James and I joined forces on a podcast, the acquisition of iconic Australian dairy company Murray Goulburn by Canada's Saputo. The news there is that the deal went through. Uh, Murray Goulburn will soon cease to operate. Yes, that's right. Although it will remain as an entity with many millions of dollars to its name, given that the company is facing a a number of lawsuits. These are uh, lawsuits that are totally unrelated to the takeover, but are linked to the company's relationship with its suppliers. Uh, There could be damages awarded against Murray Goulburn, which is why Saputo can't wind things up uh, completely just yet. But uh, so, as I mentioned last time we spoke, this acquisition is in fact a big deal in Australian terms. It's worth around one billion US dollars. It will see the Canadians solidify their position in the Australian dairy market. They'll become the largest player here. Uh, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, had approved the deal, but with uh, conditions attached. The conditions are that Saputo will have to sell off one of Murray Goulburn's milk processing plants in the state of Victoria, which is the Australian Mm. state from which I'm speaking to you uh, right now. So Saputo has accepted those conditions. The only thing missing now is the approval of the Foreign Investment Review Board, which is a rather rather strange and opaque approval process for foreign companies. Saputo uh, had received the OK from the board when it first entered the Australian market. There's nothing to suggest... Uh, that it won't get the green light this time as well. But basically, I mean, all being well, what we're saying here is that Murray Goulburn, which is a company that's operated in the Australian dairy market since, well, shortly after World War II, will soon be no more. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because we always look at mergers and acquisitions from a purely regulatory uh, perspective. We tend to forget about the history of these companies. But Mm, this cooperative... Uh, I mean, it was it was fascinating. I actually went along to their what will be their last uh, shareholder meeting in Melbourne uh, last week. And I mean, this is a cooperative that was formed in 1950. A group of dairy farmers decided to set it up. It eventually went on to become the biggest producer of milk in Australia. Uh, and at this uh, final shareholder meeting in Melbourne last week, they actually got a milk supplier, so a, a dairy farmer, Uh, to stand up and say a few words about the company, its history. And I mean, I'm not easily moved by public companies, as (laughs) as you well know, but uh, I found it actually quite touching. It was a it was a great moment to, to, to be there. So, yeah, definitely something that marks the end, the end of an era for, for what's been such a sort of household name company. Um, so yes, indeed. Then moving on from that, moving on to the issue that you've 
more recently written a piece of analysis on, that of the size of penalties imposed for competition law violations in Australia. Walk me through how this controversy came about. Okay, well, it's it's been quite a controversial issue here in Australia. The Organisation for the Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, uh, had been working on a report on Australian competition law for quite some time. Now, in many countries of the world, these OECD reports go totally unnoticed, but uh, Australia, as you'll find out once you start working here, Laurel, is is usually very concerned about what the rest of the world thinks of it. And this report highlighted what it saw as a very serious problem. That was the size of the fines imposed for competition law violations. So we're essentially talking about cartels. Uh, now, we, we dissected the report in great detail, so subscribers uh, can go through all of that if they care enough. But the take-home message uh, from this report wasn't good. I mean, they, they were saying that Australia's fine, uh, I mean, Australia's penalties and fines are so low that the country has become an outlier, that the average fine would need to be uh, increased by 12.6 times uh, to reach the international average. And in fact, uh, possibly the most damning conclusion of the report, although they were very, uh, you know, very cautious in how they went about saying this, was that the size of the fines imposed in Australia meant that there was no longer a deterrent, that receiving a competition law fine in Australia may be seen by some companies as simply the price for doing business in Australia. Now, they they expressed all of this very politely, very cautiously, but it was still a, a damning report. And in terms of, you spoke briefly there about the international average, what other kind of jurisdictions would that be comparable with? Uh, look, they're, they're talking about countries, in fact, they listed a number of jurisdictions, the EU as a whole, uh, Germany, uh, South Korea, I think France got a mention. So these are comparable economies mm-hmm. uh, and uh, comparable regulatory environments, uh, and uh, and these are the ones that they compared the the Australian setup uh, against. But looking at who you know who's to blame, where does where's the blame lie here? It's not. It doesn't seem to be at the feet of the regulator, at the feet of the ACCC. But instead, uh, the report seems to have said that the problem was was with the courts. Yes. Now, this is the way enforcement works in Australia. So the ACCC indicates what it believes should be the size of the penalty, but it is the Federal Court of Australia. So that's a specific court, the Federal Court of Australia, that actually imposes the fine. Now, in the case of criminal cartels, there's a further degree of separation because it's a federal prosecutor that's responsible for taking the the, the case to court. But uh, all that to say that it's not the ACCC itself, it's not the regulator that sets the penalty, it's the court that does that. Now, a few years ago, the Parliament of Australia uh, increased the limit for penalties that could be imposed for uh, competition law violations. So there's clearly a political will uh, for greater penalties to be imposed. The ACCC has been calling for tougher penalties, and it's actually been um, arguing this case through the very submissions that it makes to the federal court. But the judges of the federal court just don't see it that way. So in almost all, in fact, in all instances, the fines uh, suggested by the ACCC were ignored or watered down. The judges um, went ahead and imposed much lower fines. Now, of course, they're entitled to do that. And in fact, a federal court judge who spoke publicly at an event I attended in Brisbane recently said this, this discretion uh, in imposing fines was an, an essential part of, of their job. Uh, and, you know, indeed, I mean, the funny thing was that just 
uh, days after this OECD report came out, we went through the usual performance with everyone playing their part. There was a travel agent called Flight Centre in Australia, which is still around, which was found to have broken competition laws. It's a case broadly related to the Booking.com and Expedia cases that we've been covering in Europe with such, uh, with such diligence and such interest. Uh, the federal court imposed a fine of 12.5 million Australian dollars. That's about 9.2 million US. The ACCC had requested almost double that. I mean, they'd requested 22 million dollars in fines. So there's no indication that anything that was contained in this OECD report has had an impact so far. So then, in this kind of what looks like a bit of a tug of war, really, between the regulator and the court. Is there anything, I mean, you were talking about what the ACCC has been working on, but is there anything they can actually do to change this? How how will this change? How can this change? Well, I mean, it's it's not going to be easy in the sense that you can't touch the autonomy of the, of the judges and of the court system. So they will always have discretion. Within certain parameters, they'll always have a certain amount of discretion. But the strange thing was that the ACCC appeared to be oddly cautious on this front. Now, Essentially, the OECD report vindicated everything the ACCC has always said on this front. It almost sounded like a report that the report had been written by the the ACCC itself. But um, the ACCC chairman, Rod Sims, uh, straight after the report's released, appeared to be taking some responsibility for the state of affairs. He was basically saying that the ACCC had to do more to explain the methodology of its calculations. Now, this, in a way, was, is, is, is where the, contra- the, the controversial part of the story is, because the federal court rejects the suggestion that was made in the report that uh, there is no methodology in their own calculations, that they rely simply on what's referred to as instinctive synthesis. Um, so okay. that, that I mean, which which I mean sounds exactly. Sorry as, for as, the giggle. Yeah. No, I mean, but well, well, everyone was giggling when this was mentioned at the uh, at the uh, the conference that I attended. But uh, the, the ACCC um, is basically saying that it has to do more to explain its calculations. So the reasoning is that there are federal court judges who are willing to impose much greater fines, but simply feel that they don't have a solid set. Of numbers, a solid set of calculations at their disposal on which they can rely to impose these fines. So what the ACCC has to do is provide the court with an abacus. It has to provide the court with a list of its calculations in the hope that they will eventually come on board and start to impose the fines that the ACCC wants. But this is all, I mean, this is all to be seen, to be determined. We'll have to see how things pan out over coming years on, on this front. But look, Laurel, enough about me. Uh, this <laughs> week, uh, this week you've delved into Australian corporate law, looking at activist investor Sandon Capital and its uh, campaign to steer women's retailer specialty fashion away from selling off its most uh, some of its most successful brands. So that leads us to the question, what's holding Sandon back? Tell me something about these difficulties that the activist investors are facing at the moment. So just a little bit of background on Sand and Capital itself as well. So it's one of Australia's homegrown activist funds. Quite a lot you see um, this style of investment has sort of originated from the US. So you'll see maybe investors from over there coming into other jurisdictions. But Sand and Capital is a homegrown activist fund. And it's been agitating for change at different companies for a few years now, really, um, pushing for 
board changes, uh, which it actually achieved at base metal explorer Chesser Resources, uh, where it secured a board seat for its founder, so the founder of Sand and Capital, Gabriel, Gabriel, sorry, Gabriel Redzminski, and also Warnambool, but you might need to check my pronunciation of that, Warnambool Cheese and Butter Factory Holdings. No, that's exactly it, that's exactly right, and you'll be pleased to know that that links into the Saputo article because that uh, company is in fact owned by Saputo. So there you go. Exactly. So it was part of that um, part of that takeover, and Sand and Capital helped to negotiate a higher takeover offer from Saputo as part of that deal. So a couple of examples there of, of its activity. But its specialty, Australia's uh, largest women's fashion retailer, as you mentioned, Sandin says the company should avoid selling off one of its brands, City Chic. So it has sort of six different brands under its retail um, umbrella. And City Chic accounts for about 38% of, of specialties total revenue, according to a recent piece of analysis from uh, City. But at the moment, specialty fashion is, well, it's essentially ignoring Sandon Capital. And, and why is it doing that? I mean, what is stopping Sandon from making its voice heard here? Well, Australian corporate law comparatively to other jurisdictions, can benefit activist shareholders. So US-style poison pills, which kind of thwart takeovers, are banned. And any investor with a 5% stake can call a shareholder vote to remove company directors. But right now, Sandin only has a position in the company of over 3%, definitely below 5% because it hasn't had to disclose its position. So it can't call a meeting where it might be able to get other shareholders more easily on side and it can't change the board to suit its interests either. So at the moment, it's sort of screaming from the sidelines. And what exactly does Sandin want in the sense that you mentioned that they don't want a company, a specific brands to be sold off? Do we know anything more about what it wants? So it wants specialty fashion to look at rights issues as a way of raising capital. So a rights issue would allow existing shareholders to buy up additional stock in the company in proportion to their current holdings over a sort of fixed time period. And Sandin says that that approach is more likely to give shareholders value over a longer period. So creating shareholder value is basically the absolute goal of, of, of what an activist investor says. They're, you know That's what they say their ultimate goal is. Um, so they say a rights issue is more likely to give shareholders value over a longer period rather than a sort of cut and run sale let's just sell off this brand and and move on okay so while all of this is going on in the background what's specialty doing how how is it reacting to all of this well, apart from ignoring Sandin, effectively, which we understand um, hasn't got anything more than radio silence from the company since it contacted the retailer back in February, uh, Specialty is looking at offers from bidders, including Anchorage Capital Partners, which Specialty confirmed earlier this month had made a bid for the City Chic and Autograph brands, so two of its six brands, for 100 million Australian dollars. That's around 77 million US. And that offer expired last week, but observers are expecting Anchorage to stick around. Okay, then. Look, this has been a, a fascinating conversation, uh, and there's obviously so much more to go on that particular story. So it's up to us and up to you, Laurel, to keep an eye on uh, developments there. Sadly, though, time's up for this podcast. It's been great speaking to you. Just a reminder to our listeners that Laurel will be moving to Sydney on the 28th of April as part of our expanded Australasian uh, coverage and from Sydney we can hopefully continue to chat about what's making news 
in our respective beats. And of course, you can tune in and subscribe to our podcast for the latest from our offices around the world. And you can also find links to the stories that James and I have been talking about on the page you're listening to this podcast from. So for James, Paniki and me, Laurel Henning, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. But until then, bye for now. Thank you.